The Go Radio Network, in conjunction with blogtalkradio.com, present The Comedy Shack. Please join me in a moment of silence for the victims and those affected by the tornadoes in Oklahoma this week. Thank you. Greetings and salutations to you. I'm Joey Harris, and thank you for joining me this week. For those listening live or later on demand via Bluetooth or headphones, in your car or on your computer, notebook, netbook, tablet, or phone, I am proud and humbled that you've joined me for the show this week. You know, I continue to be surprised by the numbers every week. They continue to just astound me. Now, help me, for those of you who listen in, we get a lot of archived listeners who listen later on demand, help me to grow the show. Tell a friend about the Comedy Shack. And as always, you can contact me on Twitter at Harris, and also you can email me, joeyharriscomedy at gmail.com. How was your week? My week was okay. I had, you know, as usual, a bunch of highs, a bunch of lows, ins and outs, ups and downs. Uh, did a lot of traveling for different reasons, uh, some personal, uh, some professional, as I try to get my uh, professional career jump-started, as it were. So I did a lot of traveling, and then after I did a fair bit of traveling, Last weekend, uh, as you remember, for those of you who were with us last weekend, if not, please go back and listen to that show. I'm really proud of it. But for those of you who were listening last week, you remember we were on the show. We were on the road, took the show on the road to Rocky Mount, North Carolina, because I had an engagement directly after the Comedy Shack airs live. Uh, at 7, I had an engagement at 8 o'clock. So I did that and then did a few more things and um, celebrated the family member's um, birthday last weekend and then coming back home discovered that my car had some mechanical problems so it was in the shop for a few days and now working really, really well. Uh, After that, did did a lot, a lot of driving on Thursday and just, you know, really took a long time to think about some different things Thursday and Friday as well as listen to a lot of my favorite shows that I like to listen to and just catch up. You know, I think it's important to take time for yourself and just catch up and think about what you want and how you're uh, progressing in life and whether you need to just take a step back and not get overwhelmed by things and say, hey, what's best for me and what's best for my life? I did a lot of that this week, traveling the highways, the sideways, and back roads of my state and came to some some hard decisions, but some necessary decisions, and I hope that I can um, share those with you uh, 
upcoming sometime. Which brings us to our first segment every week that we get to. I always enjoy picking one out and bringing it to you. It's time for our joke of the week. And this week's joke is another long-form joke. I love the long-form stories and jokes, and, you know, I love bringing them to you, and I usually intersperse them with the shorter one-liner jokes, set-up one-line jokes. But here's this week's joke. St. Peter is working gate duty at the pearly gate, and he gets a call from the big guy himself who says, it's getting a bit full today. We're way over quota. No rule is that of each group you do each group to approach the gate, take only one out of three. You decide who's worthy. Pete is figuring a fair test when three men approach the gate arguing over who had the worst test. St. Peter decides that this is a good idea as any and tells the men that whoever has the best story about his death gets in and the other two head downstairs. The first man steps up and tells his tale. I was a highly, happily married man with a good life. I had a great apartment on the fifth floor with a great view, a really hot wife, a great job, and a sweet car that was smoking fast. One day, I got promoted at work and got the rest of the day off while they got my new office ready for me. I went home to tell my wife to maybe go out and celebrate. When I walked into my apartment, I could tell right away that something was wrong. I didn't see my wife anywhere, but I could hear the shower running. I walked into the bedroom and noticed that the sheets on her were rumpled. My wife had gotten up with me in the morning and showered and dressed in. In a moment, I knew what was going on. She was cheating on me. I was infuriated. I stormed around the apartment, sure I would find the guy. She must have jumped in the shower when they realized I was coming. He must be hiding, waiting for a chance to get away. I searched the whole apartment in vain. No sign of the guy, so I went out and got the cigarette to calm my nerves before face my cheating spouse. As I stood there smoking, I noticed two sets of fingers holding on to the balcony floor. In a fit of rage, I realized that the SOB was right right here. I started stomping on his fingers and yelling at him. He screamed and cried out, but managed to hold on no matter how hard I stamped. I ran back into the apartment and got into my toolbox and pulled out a hammer. When I started hammering on his fingers, he had no choice but to let go. As I gleefully watched the fall, I was appalled to see him land in the bushes under the balcony, five floors down and stand up apparently unhurt. There was no way I was going to let him get away with ruining my life. My mind was a bloody fog. I somehow dragged my refrigerator out onto the balcony and laughed like a maniac. I tipped it over at the rail and watched the fall on the man killing him. Then as my mind cleared, I realized what I had done. I had murdered a man. I had killed him for sleeping with my wife, but that was no excuse. If anyone, it should have been her I was mad at. Now she was going to get away with it, and I was going to jail. I just couldn't face it. I jumped head first off the balcony to my death. There was a long pause. St. Pete said, well, that was one heck of a story. He turned to the second man and said, let's hear yours. The second man glared angrily at the first and began to tell. I was a gymnast. I had a real talent, but an injury kept me out of the Olympics. I coached college, college athletics for a while, but about a year ago, I started working as a personal trainer to Olympic host. I leased the 10th floor apartment, cleared out the living room, and used it for a fitness training room for myself, and opened a gym downstairs to train my students. 
one afternoon I was doing some stretching exercises in my living room, feeling a little dare, daring. I started some tumbling routine. I got a little too ambitious, and the next thing I knew, I tumbled right off the balcony. I thought I was dead for sure, but amazingly, I managed to catch myself on a balcony with Keith Ford down. As I began to get over my terror and start to think about climbing up the safety of the balcony, I was hanging from hanging from some guy comes out and lights up a cigarette. I started to ask for help. The guy looked down at me with this hateful look and started stomping on my fingers. I screamed for him to stop and hung on for dear life. He was a madman. Then he runs back inside and comes out with a hammer. The nutcase starts hitting my fingers with the hammer, and I just can't hold on anymore. I fall, but the crazy thing is that I land in some dishes that break my fall. I get up and start dusting myself off, just stunned beyond belief that I'm still alive. And as I look up to see what the maniac is doing now, I see the refrigerator. St. Peter sits back and shakes his head. I think just maybe he has you beat, he said to the first man. He turns to the third man. You are going to need one heck of a story if you want to beat that. The third man stands up and says, okay, picture this. I'm naked in a refrigerator. I just love that joke. It just tells such a powerful image as you go through the three main stories and you get one view from one particular way. Then you find out what you think is happening is not really happening. And finally, the payoff with the serpent actually being in a refrigerator at the end. It's time now for our second segment of the week. And that's our recommendation of the week, where I give you a recommendation uh, that I think that you will enjoy. It doesn't always have to be something from this comedy world, just something I think that you may like. And this week's recommendation actually is from the comedy world, and it's one of the funniest sitcoms of all time. This week's recommendation of the week, Faulty Towers. Faulty Towers, a British sitcom, produced by the BBC and first broadcast in two series in 1975 and 1979. Twelve episodes were made, two series of six episodes each. Written by John Cleese and his then-wife, Connie Booth, both of whom starred in the show. John Cleese and Connie Booth were married for 10 years and married during the production of the first series, but had actually divorced by the time the second series was produced and but still came together to write together that second series of shows. The series set in Faulty Towers, a hotel in the seaside town of Torsten, centered around tense, rude, and put-upon owner Basil Faulty, his bossy wife Sybil, chambermaid Polly, an hapless Spanish waiter, Manuel, and their attempts to run a hotel. Um, this show was named Best British Sitcom of All Time by the British Film Institute in the year 2000. If you have not seen them, I know that it is on Netflix. Please do yourself a favor and run out and get it or fire up Netflix and run Fawlty Towers. Uh, we could sit here all night and talk about it, but we got other things to get to, and we would not cover everything. But John Cleese is just picture perfect 
character of Basil Falcon. He and Connie Booth took the character from uh, hotel owner Donald Sinclair when Fleet was with Monty Python. Python stopped at uh, his hotel, and the man's just rude behavior just left an indelible mark on John Cleese, and so he, he fashioned this character of Basil Palsy out of whole cloth from that time uh, meeting Donald Square, and there's just so many great episodes. There's not really a bad episode. My favorite one are the German episodes as well as the Waldorf Ballad episode where Basil uh, meets the typical rude American tourist and has run in with him and it's just one one joke and one lead up after another steam rolling downhill uh, until the end of the uh, show and it's just like I said I can't recommend it quickly enough it has influenced so many other uh, sitcoms especially British sitcoms that is why it is held in such high esteem as the funniest sitcom in Britain. Those uh, Ricky Gervais' show extras, as well as the British version of The Office, only ran two series apiece, The Cause of Faulty Towers, and it's a two series uh, runtime that says to them that it's, you know, more is not always that you can have a limited runtime and go out on top, so to speak. So that's this week's recommendation of the week, the British sitcom Faulty Towers, the John Cleese, Connie Dee, and company. So check it out. Now it's time for our third segment of the week, and that is our weekly salute to those who have We've got a few people this week. Uh, David McMillan, 31, American football player. Steve Forrest, 87, American actor from shows such as Dallas and SWAT. Raymond Zarek, 74, American rock musician, member of The Doors. Charlie Reese, 76, American newspaper columnist. And John Mule Niles, 90. Uh, former player for uh, American former player for the Negro uh, League baseball play. And those are just some of the people who have passed away this past week in the feature in our weekly salute to those who've passed. Which brings us to our next segment, our weekly segment that I enjoy very, very much. I love bringing you this segment, and this time it is our trailblazer segment where we look at those who have paved the way for those who have come after us. And this week's trailblazer may be not as well known as some of the people that we had in the past. You know, we had Buck Henry last week, someone else who's not well known, but um, this person 
definitely a trailblazer in influence people such as Groucho Marx and Johnny Carson with this comedy. This week's trailblazer, Fred Allen. Born John Florence Sullivan on May 31st, 1894. Fred Allen was an American comedian whose absurdist, topically pointed radio show made him one of the most popular and forward-looking humorists of the golden age of radio. Best remembered for his long-running mock feud with his good friend Jack Benny. Fred Allen was radio's most admired comedian and most frequently censored. Because he frequently ad-libbed, he tangled with network execs both on and off air while developing routines which influenced contemporaneous and future comedians. Fred Allen was born in Cambridge, and as a young boy, he learned to play the piano. Um, this would lead him to his success as he would go along. He also uh, started working in the Boston Public Library, where he discovered a book about the origin and the development of comedy. He read it, and he incorporated it and started writing comedy material. He also learned how to juggle, so he played the piano, he juggled, and he was also a working comedian. Booked on the local vaudeville uh, uh, circuit for $30 a week. He had an interesting act is that he hired an artist to paint a backdrop, a mural on the backdrop wherever he was. Performing Now, the backdrop of this mural uh, depicted a cemetery. And on the cemetery were jokes. You get the joke and the punchline on one headstone big enough and clear enough so that you could read the entire scene. It was known as the Old Jokes Cemetery, supposedly where old jokes go to die. This would be let down and displayed for a few minutes before Fred Allen would come out and start his material. A lot of the jokes, you know, were, since they were able to read, the audience was already laughing by the time that Fred Allen would get out onto the stage. So he showed his comedic and genius mind for something like that to get the audience already in the mood for laughter and already laughing, laughing before he ever set foot on the stage. He married Portland Hoffa in 1927, and they took a, and made a double act, and she was a great part of his radio show for many years, as well as developing a act for the comedy circuit and the dying vaudeville circuit by that times. They started in radio on Chicago's WLS showboat. The success of this show and their appearances on it helped their live performance. You're booked on that. People see you. They enjoy your act and they will go out and try to find you and try to see you as a uh, Performer. He entered radio full time 
1932. As was common with a lot of radio stations and radio shows at the time, his show went through several names. You know, different companies would um, advertise, and that would be the name of the show because the advertisers owned the show rather than the star or the network owning the show. As we talked about with Jack Benny, you know, it was the Great Nuts program starring Jack Benny, or it was the Jello show starring Jack Benny. Fred Allen was the same way. He would have reviews named after different things, like he was uh, sponsored by a mayonnaise company. I believe it was Hillman. And so it was like the salad review because you can get Miracle Whip salad dressing or, or, or what have you. The most famous names of this show, though, were Town Hall Tonight and eventually the Fred Allen Show. His show was eventually named after him. A move, by the way, that he did not like. He thought that his name should not be the top name because he was kind of the ringmaster, but everybody else contributed. So he didn't mind it being called Town Hall Tonight and he being the host or the main focus, but he thought the focus should not be completely on him. Um, he would create something with his show where that he would take a humorous look at the news, which was done later on in uh, that was the week that was. Uh, Rowan and Martin's laughing would take their look at the news as well as Saturday Night Live's weekend update, all taken from this satirical look at the news uh, on Fred Allen's Town Hall Tonight program. And as was typical during this time period, his uh, radio show would switch networks many times. He was at CBS. He had to take a year off due to hypertension, which would plague him for the rest of his life. When he returned to radio, he returned to NBC in 1945 with a show. And this is where his humor and his show rockets straight to the top with the famous Allen's Alley segment, uh, which depicted Small Town USA on the radio. He would come up at the beginning of the show. He would do a short monologue and some different things as himself, and then he would meet his wife, and they would do different things. There would be a group of singers that would come along. Then he and his wife would be seen strolling along in your mind. You see them strolling along and meeting different characters on Alan's Alley, um, such as like monologues like Garrison Keillor does now with Lake Wobegon. It was typical and similar to that, but more like a back and forth type deal. Famous citizens of the alley included Socrates Mulligan, Pansy Nossbaum, and most famously Southern Senator Beauregard Claghorn, who's this 
just the stereotypical Southern senator character. You know, I saved my boy, and that's a joke for us. And if you recognize the uh, speech patterns for that, he was the model for Foghorn, Leghorn from Blue Tunes, the Mary Melodies thing would come out. And just a year later, that's where that character comes from, the senator, the southern senator, Beauregard Claghorn. In 1947, uh, Fred Allen was able to negotiate a lucrative new contract to keep him from doing what later, what Jack Benny, Burns and Allen, so on and so forth were doing, which is jumping from NBC to CBS and that great radio purge to try to lift up the CBS named brand. That was just so very effective. Fred Allen's one of the very few that did not jump and was able to get a very, very lucrative deal for that. He, at that time, had the number one radio program in the country. When you're going in to negotiate that brand new deal uh, to keep you on this network, it's a good bow and arrow to have in your quiver to have the number one show. Nobody wants to lose a show that's well-performing at least not the number one show, so he was able to get a lot of money from that deal. And that was the end of his career because very soon the bottom fell out. He fell into in the ratings due to the rise of television. A lot of radio shows were taking that hit, but also because of the new popularity of a new show, Stop the Music, that was a quiz show on the former NBC Blue Network, which was now called ABC. This infuriated Allen, and so much so that he offered $5,000 to anyone who is called to appear on Stop the Music was listening to the Fred Allen show, but he never had to part with $5,000. And, um, he soon fell in the ratings and ended his show for good, June 26, 1949. Uh, but he still had this big contract, so he became a fixture on the big show hosted by Tallulah Bankhead on NBC. Now, uh, critics called him the conscience of television, even though he was not a huge fan of television. He said he did not trust furniture that could talk. And he had people that could do anything watching people who could do nothing on television. But he still held in very high regard, even though none of his own things, like Fred Allen's uh, sketchbook and things like that, and skit, skit book rather, did not really take off on television. He did have a measure of success, becoming a panelist on What's My Line from 1954 until his death in 1956. And then the 
final years of his life, he rented an uh, office in New York where he could go and work uninterrupted for six hours this day and became a a columnist and um, just a a newspaper man writing many stories as well as writing two memoirs during this time. It was a very lucrative time for him in his final years. On March 17, 1956, he was out taking his nightly stroll and he suffered a heart attack and died. And it was a uh, urban legend and a matter of contention for many years. Excuse me, that he was out walking his dog when he died. But in fact, he never had a dog. He never owned a dog. So he was just out on his own taking a stroll, unfortunately, when he had that heart attack and passed away. Now, television in those days was done, the majority of it was done live. And the very next night was a live broadcast, which was my line. Uh, producers and the cast, the other panelists scrambled to find out maybe they should not do that week taping and do a uh, special com- commemoration and tribute to Fred Allen instead. And his wife said, no, he would not want that. He would want the show to go on like usual. So when the um, when the show started, that is what they announced they would do. They had a short tribute to him at the end, I mean, at the beginning, and then went on with comedian Steve Allen actually taking his place on the panel that night. And towards the end, other panelists, Darcy Kilgoggin, uh, Arlene Francis, and Bert Steff, uh, as well as Steve Allen, mentioning him and doing uh, memories to him in the final moments of that program. So, that is this week's Trailblazer of the Week. Right out. Which brings us to our main story of the week, or should I say main stories of the week. I mentioned before that I did a lot of just soul searching and a lot of thinking and I've shared with you and I've been very honest with you and I will always continue for as long as I can do the comedy shack to be honest with you all because as we talked about many times comedy equals tragedy plus time. So if you go through the good life, you'll also go through the bad life because it's called living life. And I will live my life or try to live my life very honestly. And, you know, I really think I have turned the corner. The past few months have not always been the greatest for me. I've had some good times, of course, but I've also had some rough times. And and honestly, I've had some setbacks. But a setback is just a setup for a comeback. I honestly believe that, and I believe my comeback's on its way. Um, 
I had some unexpected things happen to me this week, not necessarily bad things. They're really good things, um, unexpected to me. But sometimes the most unexpected things that happen can be the greatest things that have happened to me. And they're really good things that happen to me. I found a measure of peace in my life this week. Uh, reconnecting with people that I honestly thought for um, for all intents and purposes out of my life forever. But unexpectedly, uh, those people came back into my life and we made peace. And it, it meant a lot to me. I know I'm being vague here, uh, but I can't really get into specifics, but it did mean a lot to me to know that um, I didn't lose the people. It was very good to be able to talk and make that piece. I needed it in my life. And because of that, because of the good things that are happening, I believe my, my life is about to take a very big turn, a very positive turn in both my personal life with some things as well as my professional life to get back to a full-time job and returning full-time to doing stand-up as much as I can, as well as giving it my all to this show, The Comedy Shack, each and every Saturday night, as well as the new show that I started uh, co-hosting last night with Joey Sacks on the Go Radio Network, of course, that what's trending now is we're talking about what's trending every week on Twitter. So follow us on Friday night and then right back here on Saturday night for the Comedy Shack. But those moments in your life that you think are significant that may turn out to be significant in another way, you stand in line at the bank to cash a check or to open an account and you end up meeting the person that you're supposed to spend the rest of your life with. You go out to a party and you meet someone and they help launch your career. You go out and you make a friend during some class that you didn't even want to take. That person made your friend for the rest of your life. Big moments in your life that shape the same person who you are. You never know when those big moments are coming. I've had three of those moments. And they affected me in very different ways. My first moment took place when I was in the second grade. There was a girl in my class named Elizabeth, and Elizabeth had juvenile diabetes. I really wasn't fully underwear. Under, under well, excuse me, a little tongue tied there. I didn't fully understand what juvenile diabetes was all about, other than the fact that when we had a party for somebody's birthday in class, Elizabeth's cupcake had to have no frosting on it. That's all it meant to me. But because she had juvenile diabetes, 
the local huge station here in North Carolina, WRAL, was sent out to do a special on her. And they talked to her and her family. And then they came and they filmed her in school. We were learning cursive, um, learning our letters. And they filmed her and they filmed the class. For a while, they filmed us going through our different uh, routines and learning different things and even went as far as taking us over to the gym as we did recess and we did some tumbling and all of that. Now, this is the biggest thing ever. They were going to show us on television and it was going to be late that night. It was going to be on the 11 o'clock news, but they were going to tease it on the 6 o'clock news as well as have commercials about it that were going to be shown all over about juvenile diabetes. Now, I was not as concerned about Elizabeth. Not that I was not concerned about Elizabeth, but I was not as concerned about Elizabeth as I was concerned about me. Now, you have to remember, I'm only eight years old at the time, or seven years old at the time, soon to be eight, but I was seven when they filmed this. I thought that since we were going to be shown on TV, that means that we were all going to be moving stars, or at least I was. How could they turn down this face? There's no way they could turn down this face. There's no way that they could ever not look at me and say, let's make that boy a movie star. It was just going to be a matter of time before Hollywood came calling and I was going to do the next big thing. Well, they recorded it and the day finally came. It was going to be on TV that night. This was January of 1986. And January of 1986 uh, was just after Christmas 1985. And for Christmas of 1985, my parents got us our first VCR. And we got it taped, and I was actually going to tape myself. It was a big deal. I was going to tape myself being on television. So you could save it for all times, or I could show anybody that missed it. That day was crazy in school. Everybody was excited. We were going to be on TV. This is a big deal, whether you're seven or you're 77. It may not be a big deal for actual TV stars, but when you're just local folks and you're seven years old, it's the biggest day of your life so far. We were all abuzz, but we tried to do our normal work. And then about midday, our teacher, Mrs. Wood, she had an announcement for us. And that announcement was that something bad had happened. Now, Bad to us was not being able to talk during lunch. 
or having to wait five minutes to be let out for reset. This was really bad. And it was something we as students didn't fully understand. You see, that day in January of 1986, what Mrs. Wood told us was that the Space Shuttle Challenger, which was going up with teacher Krista McAuliffe, exploded shortly after takeoff. Now, we knew all about this. Every Friday at school, we got what maybe kids still get today and very prevalent throughout my entire time in school, the weekly reader, the weekly newspaper for kids that would come out and had activities, but they covered this story big time. Crystal McCullough was a big deal to us, and we were really looking forward to the things that she was going to do in space. She was going to be a teacher in space. She was going to have lessons in space, science lessons. And since she was a teacher, like we had teachers, it was real special. But like President Reagan said later that night, she and the other astronauts slipped in the face of Earth to touch the face of God. That night, we still recorded the news. And, of course, the lead story was the shuttle disaster. They showed it and recording it later on. I can rewind and fast forward and put the shuttle back together. But you can't do that in real life. I was sad and I really didn't know why. I knew that it was a sad occasion as it always is when people lose their lives. But it wasn't real to me because I guess because I was so young. You know, death, I kind of understood at the time but it wasn't real to me yet. I didn't know real death and pain and sadness as of yet. But it was that occasion all the same. But later on in the news, they did play the report because you have to go on to the other news stories of the day and they played the report, and there was Elizabeth there with her parents talking about things and going through her daily routine and checking her blood sugar. And then here comes the big part. I was finally on TV. Well, mostly. They showed the lessons, and they showed us working on cursive and the set-up place where Mrs. Woods called Elizabeth to practice her cursive letters uh, for the cameras. But when they showed the classroom, there I was, or at least most of me. You see, I was just in frame. 
They got half my head and half my body. So I was kind of on TV, but kind of not. It was the shortest 15 minutes of fame in history. I like to tell people that I like to go with my 15 minutes of fame out 30 seconds at a time. That was my first 30 seconds or six, as it were. So that's about all I was on camera, or half of it was on camera, I should say. So needless to say, Hollywood did not come call. Fast forward a few years. I had a difficult adolescence. In fifth grade, I changed schools and went through the process of being the new kid again at a different school. It was okay. I was used to my school and my friends, but then we were all scattered to the five winds, and I knew a few people. Um, another boy also named Joey was in my class, uh, and he had been with me in my old school. And I knew other people from baseball where I played indirectly for five years. I knew them, so I knew enough to get by, but it's hard to um, start over again at such a young age. Um, But I mostly got by and did different things. And I remember that there was one thing that always plagued me here. About every six months, starting when I was in fifth grade, and that was I would always get these ingrown toenails. Like I said, on average, about every six months on my left big toe. And a big rite of passage in our family was that Halloween. You could no longer go trick-or-treating after you were 12. The year that you were 12, that was your last shot at trick-or-treating. And the year I was 12, I missed my last shot at trick-or-treating because that day I had to have surgery on another ingrown toenail. So adolescence was quickly losing its luster for me. I was ready to move away from this preteen nonsense and finally become a mature responsible teenagers. Looking back on this, I'm sure as you can realize that those things really don't go together. Mature, responsible teenagers? Not happening again. But when you're 12, you're not exactly the brightest thing, and I thought that teenagers got more responsible and more mature as time goes on. The last bastion of childhood, or what I consider the last bastion of childhood, Halloween had been taken away from me, pure childhood. I was ready to leave all that stuff behind. So I couldn't wait to 
finally become a teenager. Good things happen to me when I become a uh, teenager. I can just foresee because good things always happened on my birthday. A few years before, uh, my birthday started off the season of the bites, as I call it. Now, the season of the bites was very simple. For Christmas 1988, I got a three-speed swing. I love that three-speed swing, and I wanted one for myself. So, my birthday is three weeks after Christmas. So, for birthday week that week, we talked about this, the birthday week that my family celebrates. For birthday week that week, my big item, I got my own three-speed swing. And, but it was a male version, a female version. And then two months later, my dad was contacted by the local Hardy's restaurant. Hardy's is a restaurant chain we have here. That's like Carl's Jr. out west. Same menu, same company, different name. This Hardy's was undergoing a new grand opening. They had a facelift and they were going to have a, a um, raffle and entertainment and all that. And the company called my dad up and asked him if he put together a 10-speed and that they would pay him some money. So he puts together the 10-speed. They pay him some money. I show up that day for 10 minutes, get a drink and a burger, and promptly win the 10-speed. It's the only time in life I think anybody's ever gotten the 10-speed and money from the deal. So, now, two bites, no waiting. I rode the 10 speed more often, but to be fair to my parents, they didn't know that I was going to win the 10 speed or that the 10 speed even existed when I got the three speed. So, good thing always happened on my birthday, right? Well, big day finally comes. I'm 13, in the middle of the week, and all I wanted was a Nintendo game. That Nintendo game was the X Men. I mean, hindsight, it's not that great of a game, but I didn't know that at the time. Boom, bam, thank you, man. I got the X Men game. And I go upstairs to quickly play it, because as we discussed last week, my Nintendo was held upstairs. And so I'm playing the game, and then I'm called down so that we can have some cake and ice cream. My grandpa. Had, had driven over and was there to help us celebrate my birthday. A lackluster candle celebration because on my birthday, the day I became a teenager, I turned 13 January 16, 1991. For those interested in military or Middle East history, this is the day that the first Gulf War started. And I was interrupted from the candle blowout by Peter Jennings, who was on my house, uh, detailing the ongoing air war that had started with Iraq. So from ingrown toenails to incoming uh, mortar shells, happy birthday 
to me. But life goes on, and I move forward. I graduate from middle school. I graduate from high school. I go off to college. I graduate from college. Graduate from college with no plan. And no plan means you move back home and you take the first job you can get. The first job I could get was as a security guard. So I had been switched over the month before to working second shift. 4.30 p.m. to 12.30 a.m. I got home about 1 o'clock in the morning. So I wake up and I get ready and I load my security clothes in the car because I was off to see my fiance whom I was later married and then even later on separate. But let's not get ahead of ourselves here. I'm driving the back roads and uh, I'm flipping back and forth. I enjoy country music, but there's been a new oldie station that has popped up in Oxford that's trying to compete with the stations in Raleigh. So I hear the song with Lake of the Kingdom, my favorite song. I'm very interested in radio at the time because I'm trying to break into radio at the time. I will finally break into radio about a month and a half later, but again, getting ahead of myself. So I'm very interested in radio, and I'm hearing one of my favorite songs for the first time. That song is by David Ball uh, called Riding with Private Beloved. First time I heard it, and I really liked it. But then I switched over, and it was 8.30 in the morning, and they had news at the top and bottom of the hour, and the man goes to all the local stories. And then if he did at the end of every broadcast, our next newscast was at the top of the hour, breaking news as it happens. So it does that. And then I get to uh, my fiance's house, and she lets me in. She got out of bed to let me in. She got out of bed, she let me in, and then I went back to bed with her. And one thing led to another, and, well, we did what people who are engaged to be married typically do. That's right. As bad as it may sound, he had that. Wasn't the first time. Wouldn't definitely not be the last time. I did mention that I did eventually marry this person. And, but that day, there was just something off, and um, I could tell you what it was, uh, but you'll find out soon enough. Somehow, the world knew and the universe knew that this was the worst sex I'd ever had in my life. Thankfully, it finally ended, and uh, after, you know, composing ourselves, she got up and fixed us something to eat. I got up to see what was on television, only to find out that the unthinkable happened. You see, when the man said news at the top of the hour, breaking news as it happened, I was about 20 minutes away from her house. And right when I got to her house, 
breaking news happened. But I turned off the radio before I could find out what. It was September the 11th, 2001. So now you know what I was doing in the middle of that. I can't take it back, but it's just one of those just weird things that happen in life. It's strange how the moments that shape the history of our world shape your personal history so much. And two tragedies and a war. Some would say three tragedies. Shaped a pivotal moment in my life. Well, but from those moments, we can all find something from us, from them, for us. I'm almost out of time for this week, but I would like to thank you all for listening and for being with me every week and checking me out and telling others about the Comedy Shack. I really do appreciate those hardcore fans that listen every week and help me grow the show and help us become a great show as part of this fantastic Go Radio Network. And check out the other show that I do with Joey Stats every Friday night. We do What's Trending Now, the topics that are trending on Twitter. We talk about them and we discuss them. Uh, it's a great show. I had a fun time doing it last night, my first time out. And uh, as always, I love doing this show. And check us out. Check all the shows out. Go to RadioNetwork.com. Uh, check us out both on Blog Talk Radio as well as Freecast. But if you go to that website for the Go Radio Network, you can check out all the shows that we have. Not only what's trending now for Tom and Jack, but all of the shows. TJ has put together just a fantastic group of shows that really uh, bring about the spirit of both comedy, entertainment, as well as sports. But we're running low on time, so thank you for joining me this week. And as always, you can catch me on Twitter. I am at the Joey Harris. That is at T-H-E-J-O-E-Y-H-A-R-R-I-S. On Facebook, you can find me at facebook.com slash joeyh37. And as always, email me, joeyharriscomedy at gmail.com. Put on the subject comedy or the comedy shack or what's trending now if you want to talk about the show that I do with Joey Stacks. But that's just about all the time that we have for this week's episode with Comedy Shack. Join us next week, and until next time, good night and God bless.